verses 1 through 7. Acts 19, 1 through 7, and this is what it says. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And he said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about the twelve, or all and all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the spirit of God. We thank you that Jesus gave us access to that spirit. And because of Jesus, the spirit of God lives on the inside of us. Lord, we believe when we open the word of God, that miraculous things could happen. And I pray today that miraculous things take place. Your word has authority and power. And I pray as pastor preaches, you give him that authority. And as he preaches, the atmosphere in this very place will change. Souls will be set free and people will be thirsty for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus, which gives us authority. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It's good to see everybody here. And before I get into the word of the Lord and before I preach, I just want to talk to you just a little bit. I want to ask you a question this morning. How, to really, how many really believe that it is possible for our nation, our city, our region to have a divine awakening by the presence of God? How many really believe that? If you believe it, wave your hand at me. Let me see the witnesses, amen? How many really believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can fall like it did in the days of old? How many believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never changes? How many believe that it's God's good pleasure to give the keys to the kingdom to us as believers? How many really believe that God will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly? How many really believe that we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for us? How many really believe that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? How many really believe without a shadow of a doubt that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights where there's neither rebelness nor shadow of turning that God cannot even turn from wanting to do good to this congregation? Do you really believe that? I can't hear you folks. I want to ask you. Yes. Do you really believe that it's possible that we turn this city and this region upside down like the, the testimony that the early disciples had? When they were beaten because they were put into prison and because they were afraid of them because they spread the doctrine of Jesus Christ and they said, these men are turning the world upside down. How many believe that the palace of praise, there is over a thousand of us in membership. How many believe that us can turn Poplar Bluff, the county of Butler, the county of Wayne, the county of Ripley, the county of Stoddard, and on and on and on, upside down for the glory of Jesus Christ? You really believe that? Now let me ask you another question. Do you really want that? 
If you really want it, you're taking on more than what you really realize because there's got to be a preparation. And my morning's message this morning, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to try to do a little bit of more preaching, teaching, pastoral because today's message is going to set the tone of whether or not the things that I just spoken will come to pass or not. Because the Holy Spirit's really been dealing with me. How many really want to see cars so backed up from PP all the way up, coming up this driveway, trying to get in all the way from the college down, cars everywhere to where there's just a mass of people and we can't even get them all in here. How many want to see that we have to put in our balconies, uh, that we might have to go to multiple services? Come on, how many believe that can happen? Do you really believe that, that that's possible? How many want to see such a high energy of the, and level of the presence of God that when you walk in, you can't even hardly stand and there'll be times when the preacher won't even be able to preach and people will just be getting saved and they don't even know why they're getting saved because of the love of the Holy Spirit and the touch of God that's in our land. Do you believe the anointing is that, is it, is that possible? Is it possible? Yes, it is possible, but why is it not happening? Why, why is that not happening? Because we as believers believe it. We, we want it. We desire it. Then why is it not happening? I'm going to deal with that this morning. And every single one of us is really going to have to take a notice of the message because it's very important that we, as the body of Christ, understand that we are, are co-laborers with God. And if God has his way, the things I just spoken to you about would already be happening. But if they're not happening, there's a reason why, and it's not God's fault. Now why, ain't you, now, now, why ain't we shouting on that? Because we know that every time that we say something like that, the fingers point back at us. That there's something that we need to be doing that we're not doing or we need to be engaging that we're not engaging in or there's something that we're not obedient in. There's something that's lacking on our part. Because I promise you that it's God's desire and it's God's will to save this world. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come under right, under the repentance. He is not willing that one soul be lost, that God loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. He's done his part. Now the church is going to have to engage itself, and it's going to have to do its part. And this morning's teaching is no big, deep thing, but it's something that the Holy Spirit has placed upon my heart. He's put another sermon on my heart, and I pulled it out, and I've been battling all week, and it was just like finally the Lord just said, this is where I want you to go. We're going to build up to a series here probably in the month of June, and we're going to be talking about breaking some generational things and breaking some curses, and there's curses over our land. And we as a church have the ability to break those curses there's curses in our lives. There's curses in our families, and we can break those curses. But, but So what, what I want to do, I want us to go into the book of Acts chapter 19 when Paul goes to Ephesus, and I want us to learn something here, and I want you to understand that it's, this is not a rebuke of the church. It's just a correction. It's, a, it's us getting uh, realigned. How many needs realignment in the spirit? Amen. We all need that realignment. We, we see here in the book of Acts chapter 19 that Paul's journey takes him back to Ephesus. And it is here that we see that he, it was the beginning of what we call two remarkable years of teaching and witnessing and healing and debating and revival. And he also experienced, however, narrow escapes for his life. Now, I want to warn you because the very things that you said that you wanted, there comes a great price for it. Here's the apostle Paul. He comes back into the region of the, uh, in the, in the region of where of Ephesus, and here he is. He's preaching, he's teaching, there's healing. 
healings, there's miracles. He's debating, he's winning debates, he's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But on the other hand of the on the other side of the coin, there is those that are out trying to kill him. And these kinds of things is going to happen simultaneously. When we begin to really see the presence of God begin to invade our city, invade our church, like we desire, get ready because the enemy will invade also. The level of intensity of desire of the spirit will set the tone of the level of attacks of the enemy. The enemy's not going to waste his time attacking a place that's not doing anything. It's going to put its energy and its focus upon a place that is bringing forth revival. So when the revival comes and when the awakening comes, get ready because the rise of apostasy and the rise of iniquity and the onslaught of the enemy will arise as well. Did you know that in the last days the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh and yet because iniquity shall abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. Them things are going to happen simultaneously right along with each other. So you and I have got to be prepared that what we say that we want, we've got to be able to be able to withstand and understand and prepare ourselves for the attack that's going to try to stop us. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not afraid of the attacks because all of our songs this morning has done verified that Jesus, he only wins, he never loses. And his people are on the winning side. Can you give him praise? Amen. But I want you to understand that even in the midst of great revival, there can be great opposition. In every big congregation to wherever there's a Holy Spirit moving, there's got to be some devil to try to stir up something to try to stop or put out or to bring attention to the enemy's, the enemy's plot and plan. So we see this even in the Apostle Paul's life. And having returned to Ephesus, Paul encounters, uh, the first thing that he does, he encounters a group of believers whose walk in Christ that he felt like appeared to be deficient. And when they were questioned about the experience concerning this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this group of disciples were actually clueless. They didn't even know what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Not only did they confess no personal experience of the Holy Spirit baptism, but they also denied having ever even heard of this thing called the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. They did not know anything about the benefits of what you and I have today of the enjoyments of hearing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit but the evidence of speaking with other tongues, or we call it being filled with the Spirit, or being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they did not have any idea about this thing called the Holy Ghost. These disciples were experiencing what I call the Holy Spirit baptism deficit disorder. And sadly, even today, many believers, after 2,000 years of existence of manifestations, yet even in this 21st century, we have a lot of believers that have this same deficit disorder order happening in their lives. Paul understood that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit that these early disciples would not be able to fulfill God's greater purpose and calling for their lives. He knew that they would, they would suffer in their ability to exercise his or her authority to speak and to, and to act under God's anointing and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said you cannot be what you need to be for God if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to empower you to be able to do the very purpose and the will of God. And can I tell you, that is the same as us. You and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This church needs to be filled from top to bottom, from side to side, inside and out. Everything about this place needs to leak the Holy Ghost. Can I have an amen? Somebody give me a witness in this house if you believe that. How many still believe in the power of the Holy Ghost? 
I said I was going to slow down and right now I'm feeling like preaching and I'm going to have to back off a little bit. But Paul understood the boldness and the fearlessness to obey God regardless of the circumstances could not be present if the believer was not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He understood that persecution would overtake revival if the believers were not filled with the Holy Ghost and the same as it is today. It is only the Holy Ghost emboldenment that will give you the power to stand up under the persecution that will rise up in the face of the revival and the awakening that is to come. And when the awakening comes, it'll be a result of people being led and empowered and anointed of the Holy Spirit, but it'll also be resulted as people that are persistent and they're not backward, backboned, back, backboneless to where they withdraw because of the face of a persecution that comes against them. Though the persecution comes, Holy Ghost-filled men will stand up and still declare even if they're in prison, even if they're put in stocks and chains, even if they're being whipped, even in their midnight hour, they'll be like Paul and Silas and they'll praise and they'll magnify and they'll glorify Jesus Christ. They will not back down. Can I have an amen? Somebody help me preach. Paul knew that it was the will of God for these disciples to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He asked these disciples a very direct yet simple question. And he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I ask you that same question here this morning as a believer. Have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost since you believed? And this, this reveals that it's possible to be saved without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Folks, this scripture does not lie. These people were not filled with the Holy Ghost. They had not spoken in tongues. They had not even heard about it, but yet they were called brethren. They were, they were the believers. They were a part of the household of faith. Paul even said, then what was you baptized in? They said, we were baptized in the baptism of John. And Paul said, well, and John baptized into water under repentance. So they had made their confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been water baptized, but at this point, they had not been filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were still a part of the church. They were still known as believers. They were still identified as the brethren. So we see that they are Christians. These believers then begin to answer Paul and say, well, you've asked us a direct question, a simple question, but we've not even know what you're talking about. We've not even heard whether there be any kind of Holy Ghost. Let's look at the issue or the problem of why these believers were not filled with the Spirit of God. First of all, these disciples actually confessed their ignorance to the Holy Ghost. What I want to preach on to you today is the reality that there is a difference in being ignorant of the Holy Spirit and resisting or rejecting the Holy Spirit. There are those that have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ but they've never been taught or they've never been schooled within the doctrines of the scripture. There are people that just simply do not understand or do not know anything about the Holy Spirit due to the lack of teaching in their life or for the reason of them being babes in the Lord. They've not been in the church long enough to even hear or understand that there is a thing called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. However, let me also say this. There is also disciples who have been in grace for years and years and months and months, and yet they're still not filled with the Holy Spirit. They have been in the church. They have heard it teach. They've heard it preached. They've heard it discussed for years after year after year. But more importantly, they have witnessed and they 
seen it openly manifested and the power of the Spirit demonstrated openly even in Pentecostal services. And not only that, they've seen him be demonstrated in people's lives and have witnessed people operating in the biblical gifts of the Spirit that they actually believed in. There are people in this service that when they move under the Holy Spirit, I can say, boy, that's authentic, that is real, and I know it is because I know the life of the believer. And as a result, it testifies to me that God is real because I know the life of that individual and I feel the anointing up and the and the Spirit bears witness of it. And there are people that have been in lively Pentecostal services. They've seen the open manifestations, the open demonstrations. They've seen the gifts operate through people that they believe in and yet they are still not filled with the Holy Spirit. They have witnessed firsthand the undeniable workings of the Spirit. They've even been touched by the power and the witness of those working. They've been recipients of the blessing of the Holy Spirit. They've been touched. They've maybe even been slain in the Spirit. They've been brought to tears. They've been brought to worship. They've been brought to repentance. The Holy Ghost has moved upon them. The Holy Ghost has breathed upon them. The Holy Ghost has touched them. But they, and even though they have been recipients, and even though they've been touched of the presence of God, yet they themselves have not really been fully baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then they, it, there is a difference. I'm getting ahead of my notes just a little bit, and I'll probably say it again, but there is a difference in being blessed and touched and ministered to by the Holy Spirit than it is to be filled with the Spirit. There's a different working there. How many knows what? You can be touched, you can be blessed, you can be overwhelmed by the Holy Ghost, but that does not mean that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. This body, I want to I want to do what Jesus done when he looked at his disciples and he breathed upon them and he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. God wants this place to literally leak the house to manifest, to demonstrate the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost like never before. If you believe that, stand to your feet and just give him praise and ask God to fill you right where you're at. God help us. Let the Holy Ghost fall on you. I don't have to finish this service. Let the Holy Ghost fill you fresh and anew. My goodness. Amen. Huh. There's a stir in the mulberry trees right now as I preach. Hallelujah, Holy Ghost, have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, sweet Holy Ghost, we love you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> hear the voice of my man this morning for if you will obey the word of God you will see great and wonderful things for your future for I will send a flood like you have never seen rain that is of abundance 
blessings that you will not be able to even house. I will prosper you. I will bless you. But more importantly, I will use you to win a harvest. And you will see souls saved such as you've never seen before. You will see the floodgates of the sinners running to the church. Yes, the things that have been spoken already are possible. But not only are they impossible, I'm setting it in order that it shall come to pass. Obey my voice and you shall see the hand and the mighty move of my spirit and the things that have been spoken over you for years shall come to pass, saith the Lord of hosts. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit. You better praise him like you, that you believe that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. There are many people after experiencing it, though they have come to embrace it as truth, accept it to be scriptural, they've even identified themselves as Pentecostal people. And even though they enjoy the benefits and the energy and the passion and the anointing and the feel and the atmosphere and the experiences of the Spirit, yet many of them have not personally received the Holy Spirit baptism for themselves. Let me say it again. There's a difference in being touched by the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. There, this is a unique problem, especially and it's a unique issue, especially in the body of Christ within America. It seems like that overseas there is outpourings of the baptism of the Holy Spirit everywhere, while in the United States uh, you just have about 8 to 10% uh, in a, any given uh, year of people being filled with the Spirit of God, believers that is. Why does this kind of thing happen? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit is a promise to everybody. How many knows that? Jesus himself prophesied in John chapter 15, 16, speaking of his soon departure and he promises to send the Holy Spirit upon the, not only the disciples but even upon us. He said, I will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He goes on and said, these things have I spoken to you being yet present with you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance of whatsoever things I have said unto you. It's evident that God has promised the Holy Holy Spirit to all that believe upon him. Not only that, Jesus, our divine uh, intercessor, the one that sits at the right hand of God to make intercession for us, is praying for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And it is the, God, it is the Father's will to send that Holy Spirit to you according to Jesus' own words. This is why that Jesus said in Luke 11 and 13, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask. Jesus revealed that the Holy Spirit is not going to be given to us unless we as believers ask for him. How many understand that? You have not because you ask not according to the book of James. It was Peter that said in Acts 2.39 and speaking of the Holy Ghost baptism, he said, for the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all of them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. In other words, the Bible literally tells us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. It was for them of the early church, to their children, to their grandchildren, to their great-great-grandchildren, -great 
grandchildren to their great, 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 great grandchildren, all the way as many as the Lord thy God shall cause. So that means all the way down to us that this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit is our promise. It's a promise of Jesus to us, and it is the will of God to fill us. I want you to know that, that we as a congregation need to buy into the fact by faith that it's the will of God to fill every believer, not some believers. It don't matter your age or how old you are or what color skin you have or what your background is. If you're a believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God wants to come down and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? Why is it then that in the 21st century, the church world as a whole is content without ever seeking or asking or longing for this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There seems to be a lack of hunger. There seems to be a lack of desire. There seems to be a lack of passion. And a lot of times, there don't even, people don't even see the need. They don't see the reason for it, really. They kind of think, well, I can live with it or I can live without it. No, you can't. And I'm going to prove that here in a little bit. You cannot live without the baptism of the Holy Spirit spirit and stay spiritual very long. I just want you to know that. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be cruel, but I'm giving you sound biblical doctrine here today. When I was a little boy, there was a lot of passion. People sought for the Holy Spirit all the time. And the reason was because the church pushed it all the time. When you got saved, the next thing you know, your pastor was visiting you saying, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? We need to get you filled with the Holy Ghost. They'd drag you to that altar and they'd put you down. They'd put their fingers in your back and they would pray. And when you'd try to get up, they'd shove you back down. And they would keep that up until over a period of time, they would either beat it in you or something till you finally just got wore out and said, I, I give up and yield. And it was then you said, I got to get filled or they're going to keep me down at this altar for the rest of my life. And, but it created a hunger. It created a desire in our lives. First of all, I want you to understand why I think that some people are not filled with the Holy Spirit. It can be due to ignorance like those that was in Ephesus. I do believe that due to a lack of solid biblical teaching concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit that people can fail to receive him on the basis of ignorance. There are people that simply do not know anything about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. However, it can also be contributed to the atmosphere in which to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit has become unhealthy due to the church's misuse and abuse of it. Yes, the Holy Spirit has been abused. Yes, it's been misused. For example, many are turned off and they become skeptical because of the Holy Spirit due to the irregularities of the people that are, and the conduct of people that are trying to manifest it in a fleshly way. I cannot preach long here because that is not the point that the Holy Spirit wants me to preach on at all. But let me just say two things about this thing called the misuse and the abuse of the Spirit that can cause an unhealthy atmosphere which can turn people away from Pentecost. We know that it exists. We've been in churches that is overzealous and they are chaotic and God's a God of order and the Holy Spirit's a perfect gentleman and those things are not of the Holy Spirit. The first thing I can say about this misuse and stuff number fact number one is everyone that claims to have the Holy Spirit don't. Just get that in your mind. I want you to understand that. There are people out there that they think they're filled with the Holy Spirit maybe or maybe they're just put-ons but they cause more damage to the body of Christ than anybody else but even though that does exist that does not justify why we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Anytime that there is something genuine the enemy always puts out a counterfeit to turn you off to where you will not accept that which is proper and useful for your life. 
Can I have an amen? Every time God wants to do something good in your life, the devil's going to distort that in some kind of a fashion to try to get you to not to buy into it by faith. And that's exactly what the enemy's trying to do to this 21st century church. Fact number two, that the Holy Spirit baptism is not glorification for the believer, but it's only the impartation of power for the believer. It is true that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life for Jesus Christ, but it is also true that that does not necessarily mean that believers will not fail or will not make mistakes being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are human. There are times that we, we uh, misunderstand. There are times that we miss it. There are times that we get in the flesh. There are times, even those that are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Once again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit does not glorify the believer. It only empowers the believer. As one man said one time, I got tickled at him. He said, if you think I'm weak now, you ought to see before I was filled with the Holy Ghost of what my life was like. Can I have an amen? The Spirit does not make, the Spirit does, I should say, make a difference in a person's life, but it does not necessarily mean that they're glorified or they're perfected just because they're spirit-filled. When you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, it does not bring you to instant maturity. Can I have an amen? Let me give you some preaching here today. And let me say to the spirit-filled believer here this morning, just because you're filled with the spirit does not mean that you have arrived and that you're better than anyone else. Amen? Can I have an amen in the house? Are you asleep on me this morning? One of the misconceptions is that one has arrived when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but being filled with the Spirit is just a start. It's just the beginning. It's the road to maturity. And so many people, I've seen them seek and seek and seek and get frustrated and finally get filled. And when they do, it's like a breath of fresh air and they'll go back and they'll sit and they'll take it for granted and they'll die because they think they've arrived if they've got it. But they never go on and seek and allow the Spirit to mature in them and to grow to the edifying through them, the will of God by the Holy Spirit, using them in gifts, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. This body must understand that the nine gifts of the Spirit is not for the preacher, it's for the body. Every one of you are to be seeking the earnest gifts. Use me in prophecy, God. Use me in the gift of healing. Use me with a word of wisdom. Use me in the discerning of spirits. And then you're going to have to learn and be taught of how to operate in a proper way, in an orderly way in those gifts. But another reason that some are not filled with the Holy Spirit is because they have a superficial desire for the Holy Spirit. They got a misconception of what the Holy Spirit's all about and what he's for. First of all, their motive for seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit is misdirected. They want it maybe for power, for recognition, for display, for personal gratification. They want it to bring attention to themselves. They want it to build a ministry and have a powerful ministry. They want it so they can have this deep feeling of affection. All that may have good motives behind it, but I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit's not going to fill you on the basis of your desire for him to come and make a big ministry for you. He's not going to come in any, and he's not going to come just so you can have these feelings of intimacies and these little goosebumps on the back of your head and your hair stand up and you walk in some kind of cosmic power. Come on. He's not even going to give it to you so you can walk around and everybody go, ooh, look what a man of God. First of all, that turns the stomach of the Holy Spirit. Come on. 
I want you to understand that a lot of people want it for the, their attention or to somehow build what they want or to feel what they for. But the Holy Spirit baptism does never exalt the believer, but rather it exalts Jesus Christ inside of that believer. The Holy Spirit will never exalt you. He's out to exalt Christ in you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make the believer more special. It makes Jesus more special to the believer. Can I have an amen? It makes that person understand the love and the depth of who Christ is. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to do nothing but promote, to bring attention, to glorify, to exalt, to manifest, to demonstrate the Jesus Christ himself. He's not here to build a church. He's here to build Jesus, and Jesus will build his church. Can I have an amen? This is why that Jesus said in John 16, verse 13 and 14, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, Jesus says, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. In other words, the whole job of the Holy Spirit is to hear the command of Jesus Christ and glorify him by revealing God's purpose in our lives and then empower us to live out that purpose. The church must understand its purpose and the reason for its existence. The reason for the existence of this church is to reveal and to manifest the very Son of God in our lives. That we're to be living testimonies, that we're to be living epistles read of all men, that people can see the light, who, uh, of the shining light of Jesus Christ in us. We are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. We're the salt of the earth. We are called out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we should show forth the works of him who, who, who pulled us out of that darkness. You and I got to understand the call of the church is not to make the church great or our ministries great or us great. It's to make sure the world knows that Jesus Christ is great. And then Christ will build his church upon that solid truth. Can I have an amen? I will admit that there are people that are not filled with the Holy Spirit because of ignorance. However, we almost also must admit that there are also many believers that are not filled with the Holy Spirit that's been around Pentecost for years. And the real reason for people not being filled with the Holy Spirit after being around for Pentecost for years is they come to a place where they don't understand the importance of learning how to yield to the presence of God. And I'm gonna tell you it's very serious and we're gonna get into some things. There are three levels of rejection that the Lord wants me to reveal today about the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, quench not the spirit. Look at somebody and say, quench not the spirit. Now, those that told you that, turn around and tell them you don't either. Amen? First of all, again, Paul says, and it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, a little bitty uh, four-letter word, quench not the spirit. Powerful word. Paul, in addressing the church at Thessalonica, warned them not to quench the spirit. The word quench in this passage is a Greek word that actually means to extinguish, to go out, or to put out. Now, listen to this. This really saddens me. The spirit is likened to fire in many Bible passages of Scripture. One of them that I will, how many knows that God is a consuming fire? 
And the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 3 and 11, John said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after I, who's mightier than I, he shall baptize you with what? The Holy Ghost and with fire. And then we see that this very word here, the Greek word actually means to quench, to extinguish, to go out or to put out. Paul used this word quench to describe the believer's ability, your ability, to put out or to extinguish the fire of the Spirit. The most powerful force on the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit has more power than the atomic bomb. Nothing can stop him when he's willed to do something. But however, you and I have the ability to keep him at arm's length and extinguish him. Are you listening to me? So this tells us that it is us that sets the tone for the atmosphere. We set the energy level of the church. We're always asking why God don't do this, why God don't show up. Well, we need to start looking at ourselves and God saying, then look at yourself because I've been wanting to move for years. I am moving. I'm going to move where people will let me move. But when God's full impact is not being manifested or revealed in any given church service, that means that the church service has things that they got to improve on. We have a great church. We have a wonderful church. But we're not a perfect church. There is room for improvement in this house. And to come in and accept the level of energy that we have is unacceptable. I want you to know that. To come in and accept the level of manifestation that we are receiving, which is good, is unacceptable. Because God has so much more for us that eye cannot see, ear cannot hear, neither can we comprehend the things that God's got. We're living way beneath our privileges when it comes to God's expectation for us. God's more willing to pour it out than we are to receive it. Woo! It's getting quiet in here. He actually reveals the ability of the believer to turn off the spirit to the point that the spirit's influence and effectiveness is lifted. It can lift off of a people. It can lift off of a congregation. It can lift off of a region. Come on. Haven't you ever been in a service where tongues went out and there wasn't no interpretation? Tongues went out again and there wasn't no interpretation. You gave it time. And then all of a sudden, nothing really happened. And all of a sudden, the preacher tries to get up and it's like preaching to a dead people because the Holy Spirit was rejected. He wanted to speak to us. We wouldn't even allow him because people would not be submissive to the gifts of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, that level of influence and that atmosphere of energy was lifted. Might as well have went home. But we go ahead and flesh it out as to try to make something happen outside of the Spirit's working. It happens all the time. At least in our church, thank God that there are things manifested. There are Pentecostal churches that's got their name over the board. You never hear tongues. You never hear interpretations. You never hear anybody prophesying. You never see any kind of manifestation. You never see any kind of miracles. So can you give God praise for the level of glory that God has already bestowed upon us and trusted us with? Thank God for it. We're not belittling that. We don't take it for granted. This is why the scripture says in Genesis 6 and 3 that the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive 
or work with man. There'll come a time you quit quenching and you keep quenching. Oh, he's long-suffering because he commands us to be long-suffering. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Long-suffering. How many knows that the Spirit is long-suffering? He's patient, he's kind, he's gentle, he's meek. Come on. He's temperate. He don't get mad at you. Uh, But there comes a time that if we keep quenching, that you and I can find ourselves extinguishing the fire and the influence of the Holy Spirit. There are times that we want an atmosphere of freedom. We want an atmosphere of liberty. But just how have we allowed the Holy Spirit to work through us that week in order to create that atmosphere? We're wanting an atmosphere that people are driving for miles just to be able to get in here. Then it's time for us to get in tune to the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? I'm going to have to skip a lot of my notes because we're not going to get to where I want to. This means that the Holy Spirit will and can withdraw his presence from us if we're not careful. He doesn't stop loving us, but he he removes from us until we're ready to respond to him. When we talk about quenching the Spirit, it is actually talking about a person that withdraws from the Spirit as to say, not yet. Now, there's a big difference. This word's watered down a little bit into the next word that I'm going to be going to. It is someone that is balking or hesitating or procrastinating. They're putting off. And let me tell you, folks, a lot of times, haven't you ever had the Holy Spirit move upon you? And by the time you make up your mind to start to obey it, it's lifted. It's too late. He's already been offended. Has anybody experienced that? I'm the only one that's experienced that. Haven't you ever felt like, man, I need to go to the altar. I need to go pray for this. And I got to do this. I got to do it. Well, what will people think? And you, by the time you get done hashing all that stuff out, by the time that you think, well, I guess I better do this, it's too late. Because you said not yet. You quench the Holy Spirit. You can't treat the Holy Spirit as some object. You can't treat him second rate. And why is it that your dad, a man of authority, can say, do something? Yes, sir. And you'll do it. But God's speaking, it'll take you an hour to lash it out whether or not you're going to obey him or not. Come on. When Bill Miller walked in the room and told me to do something, I'd done it. If not, I got my jaw slapped back. Can I tell you? I had a fear of my, where's the fear of the Lord? When the Holy Spirit says move, why don't we move? When the waters are troubled, why don't we get in? When a Bethesda's happened in the house of God, why ain't the saints running to it? Why do we have to be begged and pleaded? And why does a pastor not only got to preach the word, but he's got to be a cheerleader and somehow get you all worked up so you can somehow respond to the Holy Ghost? Why can't we hear the still small voice of God? And when God gives us a command, we say, yes, sir. When God speaks, everybody listens. Amen? We don't need to be quenching. But this quenching is not necessarily an attitude of rebellion. It doesn't come from bad people, but it's more of an attitude of a lack of interest. There's really no hunger, no thirst, no passion, or I really don't see the need to do that. I'll just sit here because God don't care if I do it or not. Yes, when God tells you to do something, it's not only God wanting you to do it, but he's not wanting you to do it for his sake as much as it's the best thing for you. He's got your best interest in mind. Amen? It's an action on our part to where we don't feed or nurture or fuel the desired effort that the Spirit's actually putting forth. It's when the Spirit feels unwanted then, unattractive, undesirable, not welcomed. 
He's put out. He's extinguished. Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that the Holy Spirit can move across this congregation at times and begin to deal with the hearts of men? Maybe it's to go to the altar and repent. And you're wrestling and you're wrestling and you say no and I'll do it next week or maybe he's telling you to go pray for somebody. Whatever it is and we hesitate and we balk and we sit there and what happens is is that the Holy Spirit is putting forth an effort. We're not feeding it. We're not nurturing it. He then feels unwanted, unattracted, undesired. He becomes unwelcome. He begins to be what we would call put out or then he becomes extinguished. Haven't you ever been around a certain people? They were kind to you. They weren't rude to you. You know, they were friendly, but you could tell by their actions. They really didn't want you there. Come on now. Haven't you ever been in a group and they're all talking and you can tell that they're, they're planning this stuff and it's all their conversations trying to do it in a way that the hints are going to them, but they don't want you to get the hint because they really don't want you to be a participator of it, but they're not going to look over and tell you, we really don't want you around. You're a fifth wheel, you know, you're, you're, you know come on. But have you ever been out on a date that's only been one-sided? I have, and they're miserable. Where your buddy sets you up, and the only reason that the girl came is because the buddy, her, her, her friend set it up and so that they could go out. The only reason you're there is so they can have a good time while the two of you are miserable. But you're kind. I remember my first heartbreak. I was a little bitty boy. I was at a bowling alley. My mom was bowling and all of a sudden I was sitting there and the queen of Dexter School came in and she came over, Kent Miller, and gave me a kiss right on the lips. Woo! She went back into the area where the ping pong machines were at in a corner and baby Kent Miller was going to do some lip locking. Only to find out she was a teaser. She led me on. I'm not going to get through with this sermon. And while we're laughing, some of you have experienced, broke my heart. You come in here and give me a lip lock, and then when I get you alone, I'm ready to do some serious lip locking, you know. Only to find out she just crushed my little heart. I got back at her when I got in high school. <laughs> But nevertheless, broke my heart. She was a teaser. She led me on. And yet we'll come in and we'll sing our songs of affection. And we'll tell the Lord how much we love him. How much we glorify him. And we'll lift our hands. We'll clap our hands. And we'll just make all of this, this loving, uh, romantic speech to the Lord in our songs. And oh, it's a wonderful thing until he moves upon us. Then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, you're invading my privacy. All of a sudden, we become nothing but a teaser. All we've done is led the Lord on. We tell him how much we love him until he moves upon us and begins to stir in us things of the spirit and because we're fleshly and we're carnal, we're, we're not really wanting to yield. We're not really wanting to give up because we might lose our identity or we might lose our image because sometimes the Spirit of God, when he moves on you, he can cause you to do some radical things. How many's ready to get radical no matter at the cost? 
Now you said you wanted the Holy Ghost to move and you wanted people to come and see a fire burn. You wanted people to come from all around. But are you willing to look stupid and foolish for the glory of God? Are you ready to be a radical Christian? What happened to the shouts? Are we going to come in here and go through our Pentecostal garbage and to where we just, all we do is magnify him and love him and we're just teasers and we're leading him on. But then when God wants to really come down and connect in a loving way and he wants us to respond to the spirit of the living God, we balk, we hesitate, we run, we get scared. We begin to quench him. Oh, Lord. This is what happens in Pentecost all across America. So we put him off. We shun him. We act like as if he's not there after he moves upon us. We like the thought of being a Christian. We like the thought of being religious. We like the thought of belonging to a church. We like the thought of the energy that we feel until it begins to demand something from us. And it's called relationship with God. And every relationship is a messy, even the ones you have with God. I've been with that woman. For a long time. 30. Five years. Am I right? We dated about a year before that. So 36 years. We've done some serious lip locking in our day. <laughs> Come on now. And to have a relationship with her, I want you to know it's messy at times. She puts forth demands, I put forth demands. We have to work through them. And yet, because of our love, we work at that relationship. And what God's wanting is a people that'll work with him and not extinguish him. Not get a fire hose out or get, a, get, get some kind of a blanket and smother out the influence or the affection. or the, He wants you to nurture that feeling that he's moving upon you with. He wants you to take it to heart. He wants to be able to make a bond. He's inviting you into the bedchambers of experience with the king. Can I have an amen? I'm not gonna get through, so I'm gonna hurry up and I'm gonna skip a lot of these notes. So what do we do after that we lead the Lord on in quenching? We're not a rebellious people. We're not a mean-spirited people. We're just carnaling. We're just not, we're just not yielding. We're just, we're just, it's not that we don't love him. It's just that we're not trusting him. Come on. So what's the next thing that happens? What do we do after we quench? We go through our religious experiences and we end up, instead of nurturing the flame of the Spirit, we begin to nurture the root of rejection. And remember, and take heed to this, write this down. Full-blown rejection is not just something that happens overnight. It builds. When you find yourself estranged from God, you get to thinking like Samson, how in the world did I get here? How did that happen? When we as individuals begin to quench the Spirit and not fuel or feed the intensity of desire of the Spirit, then we grow in the spirit of rejection and we end up doing what Acts 7.51 says. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Now we go to this word 
from quenching to resisting, which is a different level. This was actually Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin court and he's defending himself of accusations of blaspheme. They were bringing accusations that he was a blasphemer. And he then reveals to them the real problem that they had toward him. He said, you know I'm not a blasphemer. You know y'all are lying. But the real problem that you have with me is that you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. That's what he tells them. Their hearts are not pure and they only hear what they want to hear, he says. They're stiff-necked and listen to this. They're called what they call self-governed. This is religious people. Come on, this is the Sanhedrin court. He said, you know what y'all's real problem is? You're stiff-necked. You know what your real problem is? You only hear what you want to hear. You only do what you want to do. You're a self-governed people. And you're wanting to stomp out and kill the spirit that's working inside of me. That you're really not opposing me. You're opposing the spirit of God inside of me. And did you know there are people that sometimes they can handle Pentecost up to a certain point, but when it breaks past their level of understanding, sometimes if they're not careful, they will not only not understand it, but they'll all oppose it and they'll fight against it. They'll make remarks about it. They'll speak against it. Come on. It's getting quiet. Stephen blames this on you know why you're like this? Because you always do resist the Holy Ghost. The reason the way you are, the reason you hear only what you want to hear and do what you want to do is because you don't want to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And that's why you're mad at me. Because I'm a God that's full. And I want to tell you, one of the most hated men in church sometimes is the most anointed man. Because people are jealous. And when you talk to people that have a level of intensity of spiritual gifts operating in their life, you get them along to the side and this is what they'll tell you. It's a lonely life. How many are ready to put up with the price in order to get the prize? Amen? I feel like I'm losing you. Am I over preaching here this morning? The word resist in passage is a Greek word that means to oppose. So now we have a different level. This is when the Holy Spirit moves and it's not an action that says not yet, it's an action that says not ever, not now, not ever. It's when there's a total opposition to the Spirit's desire or effort. The Greek definition of this word resist carries with it the idea of creating a substitute or a replacement. So what does that mean? It doesn't just say no or oppose the spirit, but what it does, it just does something opposite. It creates something that it likes. So when the Holy Spirit comes along, moves on Zach, and Zach says, nah, not yet. He can get by with that for a good while because God's long suffering. But if he's not careful, that not yet turns into a quenching, will turn into a resisting to where he says, no, that's not for me. And then when that happens, he begins to form his own religion he begins to form his own smorgasbord of likes and dislikes. And before long, it's not about what God likes, it's about what he's constructed and what he's ordered. And now instead of walk, working and operating out of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he's operating out of religion. And now the very religion that he created stinks in the nostrils of God because he become self-governed because he resisted the Holy Ghost and he did not allow the Holy Ghost to form in him the workings of the kingdom of God. Are you with me? 
That's scary. Stephen says, if you quit quenching and quenching and quenching, I want to tell you what's going to happen. You'll end up resisting, opposing. You'll fight. You'll build. Your, you'll, you'll do a replacement. So now you'll offer to God what you want to offer to God instead of offering to God what he's initiated and what he's told you to offer to him. And then God rejects you on the basis of your self-initiated, your self-imposed religion that you are trying to win favor with him with. And there's only one way you can find favor with God. That's through his son, Jesus Christ. And the only way you can know Jesus Christ is through the anointing of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that brings us and draws us into the presence of God. And where there's no Holy Spirit, there's no true authentic presence. I got, I got hours of teaching up here. I'm going to go to my last one. Ephesians 6.20, I think it is, 5.20. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God to whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, after that you quench him, go into resisting and opposing him, then you grieve him. You know what the word grieve means? To weep. To cry. To be pushed out. I've been in services before where the Holy Ghost moved and there's a high level of energy and everybody's enjoying the presence of God. And you never sometimes could put your finger on it, but something went very sour real fast because when you left, you left grieving in your spirit because the will and the purpose of the spirit was never manifested or done. And the spirit then and grieved through the body of believers and you'd hear people weeping because God's will wasn't being performed. It's the highest level of rebellion that there is. It's idolatry. Christians all over the country are committing idolatry and they think, well, we don't have no idols that we're bound down to. You got the idol of yourself to where you have built your own religion and you have made up your mind what you will respond to, what you won't respond to. You're self-governed and you've opposed the work of the Spirit. You've quenched him to the point that you have built your own system in which you're going to operate in and you have forgotten about the system and the anointing of the kingdom of God. And now God grieves because he knows how much you're missing out on. He's grieving over you as he, Jesus grieved over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a hen would gather her chicks under her wing, but she wouldn't do it. Jesus is crying over them. Look what I wanted to do, but you wouldn't let me do it. Even Jesus was extinguished. Come on. His desire for Jerusalem was not fulfilled. I hate to tell you this, but last year during the election and different things that went on in different states and different things, God's will was not performed. Oh, that went over like a lead balloon. Take it the way you want to take it. I know because I know how grieved I've been in the Holy Ghost about our nation. I know the weeping that's went on with me and my time of prayer with God where they're grieving and the, and the, and the, and the crying of the Spirit 
I don't want God to have to come over our congregation with wooing and crying, beckoning, pleading. I want him to come and they're hot responses. Just every time he moves, bam, there's a firebrand. Yes, there's a yes. Yes, sir. Because there's a difference of not yielding than not submitting. Because a lack of submission means that you've not made him Lord. Would you stand with me, please? I didn't get all my message out, and I just kind of went off the cuff. What God's requiring of the palace of praise, how many's ready to see them come from far and wide? Our early history in the church of God talks about outpouring in a little place called the schoolhouse of, of uh, Cherokee, North Carolina. Isn't that right? And how the, them people heard about the revival that took place in that little schoolhouse. And they got in wagons and some of them walked and some of them rode mules and some of them, some of them rode horses and some of them got there any way that they could. And some of them would come from Tennessee and some of them would come from the neighboring states and they would walk mile after mile after mile after mile. Some of them as they carried their lanterns down through the woods to try to get to the schoolhouse before they ever even got there, the power of the Holy Ghost would hit them and they would be slain in the spirit and they would wake up and they would find themselves praying and repenting and getting baptized in the Holy Ghost with no one even around. Oh, how long. I remember as a boy us not getting out of church sometimes to midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and we would roll in the altars and the Holy Spirit would roll us and we would cry and we would moan and we would groan and the Lord would sanctify us and convict us and cleanse us. And it was, it was experiences after experiences after experience. I remember those days. My dad told of a story that he got one of the worst whippings of his life. They went to an old Pentecostal church one night. Back in those days, they'd stay wet in the night and the kids would go to sleep and then sometimes they'd take them and put them out in the wagons. And dad and uh, his brother and some of his cousins and friends slipped out to go to the outhouse and they took the children and switched the children in different wagons. And when the people got home, they had the wrong kids. And it wasn't until five o'clock in the morning some of them got back home but there was a blaze of fire and the people were hungry. There was a passion for God to move and as a result of that, revival and awakening came. I'm ready for it right here in Poplar Bluff. I haven't heard about it in a while, but I had an opportunity to go this Monday and Tuesday to Charlotte, North Carolina to a prayer meeting in Lauren Livington's church. Doug Small's holding a big prayer emphasis there this week. Lorian Livingston's been having prayer meetings going on, I forget now how many years or months. And there's been hundreds and hundreds, some I think even to the thousands of people that's been gathering on Monday night there and people are getting saved like crazy. And Lorian Livingston's church, Charlotte, North Carolina. And there's a big prayer thing I told you I'd like to go and I thought it was just seven or eight hours, it's like 12 hours. She said, oh, go, go, go. And I, man, I'm still contemplating whether or not I can get in the old truck and take off today. Because I, I'd like to be involved with this, watch the intensity of passion of people that seeing an awakening take place in that area. 
if we can get hungry, if we can get trusting enough to say, God, when you move upon me, I'm going to obey you. I don't care. I'm, but I'll tell you one thing. You, if your heart's hardened, it may take a while to soften that heart. But the way you soften it is every little inkling of obedience. When God says do something, do it. Do it. Do it. I don't want to be a church that teases God. I know what it's like to be a little boy with his heart broken. And yet the Holy Spirit can get his heart broken. He can get his feelings hurt. He can be extinguished. He can be put off, put out. He can be put off. What kind of arrogant people are we if we keep the Holy Spirit at arm's length? God, I'll let you do this, but don't come any farther than that right there. I'm gonna box you into that right there, but don't, don't try to get me out of my element. Don't try to stretch me. Don't try to change me. This is my personality, God. Don't work against my personality, God. Don't be Lord of my life. I want you to bring me to heaven someday. I want you to be my savior, but please don't put any kind of spiritual demands. Well, why are we saved? We're saved for his purpose, and his purpose is to win a harvest, and the way that we win a harvest is through the power of the Holy Spirit, because no man can be saved without the drawing of the Holy Ghost, and the people are starving for a church that's authentic and alive and full of energy and power and passion. They won't want a dead, dry religion. They got enough of that. They want to see people dance and shout and cry and weep and pray. They want to see the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. The, the, the world ain't afraid of them. They're craving them. We worship well this morning. We shouted, woo, we'd say. We clapped our hands as to say we're in agreement. Now I'm gonna challenge you this morning. Are you willing to make a full pledge of commitment to the Lord and say, I refuse to be a teaser. I refuse to be someone that leads you on God. I'm gonna nurture, I'm gonna feed your effort of desire for my life. I'm gonna to respond to your Holy Spirit by coming today and saying, I'm willing to yield my life. I'm willing to start over, forgive me of my past. I'm willing to let your affection be set upon me and my affection be set upon you. And I'm willing for you, you, to allow the Holy Spirit to have full reign of me. Whatever you want. Whatever you desire you have for me, I want it all. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be a man of religion. I want to be a man of purpose. I want to be a spiritual man. I want to be a spiritual woman. I'm going to invite you to come and make that commitment, those that want to. I'm not pressuring you. I'm not begging you. Crowd in because I feel like that there needs to be. Just begin to talk to the Lord. Say, God, I, this is the beginning. This is the start right here today. This is the start of the palace of praise turning the new page. This is the beginning of a move of God in our region. This is the beginning of a move of God in my life. In my life. The Holy Ghost is a holy guest. He will not come where he's unwelcome. 
Holy Spirit. Yes. Say, I'm hungry, God. I want passion, God. I want passion, Lord. Create in me passion. Forgive me of my disobedience in times past. And let me, Father, be spiritual in everything that I do. Give me glory of the Lord in my life. Don't let me have my own self-glory. Let you glorify yourself in me that I might be a vessel of honor, meet for the master's use in the name of Jesus. I'd like for my altar workers just to come by, lay hands on people, pray over them, love on them. Right now in the name of Jesus, you leaders, I need your help. We gotta flame the fire. We gotta, we, we can't quench. We gotta stoke the fire. Bye. 
Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. And even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker. If we can just really realize that this is the kind of participation and response that the Lord looks for us to have every service is just to say, God, I just desire to be in your presence. I desire you to touch me. I desire for you to lead me. I desire to be open to you. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a walk. It's, a, it's an ever-learning thing. And there'll be goof-ups on your part. There'll be times you'll misunderstanding. That's okay. He gives us room for that. He says, try the spirits to see whether they be of God or not. Don't beat yourself over the head of trying to do so. I'd rather fail trying than fail in doing nothing. Amen. And God wants you. He wants you to fail trying. He's with you. He's not going to punish you for trying. He'll give you an A for effort. He'll say, excellent, because you tried. But don't, don't hide your light under a bushel. Don't bury your talent. Don't just say, well, I'm just going to be who I am and this is as far as I want to go. I told you a few weeks ago that you had a different pastor that you supported me all the way up to this time. And I'm just going to keep getting more radical and more radical and more radical. Because all I know is there's a passion building inside of me. It's like an atomic bomb. If I don't release, I'm going to blow up. I'm ready to see some things happening. I'm not, I'm tired about talking about them. They're going, to, they're going to be manifested. And I'm telling you the things, the vision I gave to you before the service is a vision that God gave me. It not only can happen, it will happen. It will happen in Jesus' name. I decree it. I declare it. It will happen. Amen. I love you. Love the Lord as long as you want. We're no way just dissolving the service or dismissing it. Just enjoy the presence of God. If you need to go, you're dismissed. We love you. We praise the Lord. Remember tonight, a special night.
of testimony. Oh, we got, that was one of the highest attended nights of the people that's given their lively testimonies. Also, if you have got your tithing offerings, you can leave them in the boxes going out the exits. God bless you. We love you this morning. Stay as long as you like. Many wonders, the sounds of many wonders.